Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. I'm feeling a little vulnerable today. Of course, it could just be the necktie. It's one of those mornings when I look in the closet and I go, none of these neckties really go with everything else I have on. So, you know, we'll just go for something startling. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, everyone. So glad you're here today. You know, we're finishing up our book, uh, Annie Ricks Millet's book called Prosperity. This is kind of the end of our prosperity program for the year. And she has left us with a couple, I think, really important spiritual principles at the end that I want to cover with you today. One of them is, uh, well, in science of mind terms, we would call it the law of giving and receiving. She uses a little bit different words, but we're going to cover that. And then also the law of gratitude. And so those are the two things I hope to cover with you today. Again, the aim is to make sure that we're living rich lives. And so these principles are really woven into our idea of prosperity. So first off, the law of giving and receiving. In science of mind terms, it simply says, that which you put out tends to be increased and returned to you. So let me say that again. That which you put out tends to be increased and returned to you. And so, and often, too, we hear it as, as you give, so you grandly receive, right? That that idea of we, we put out our vibe, we put out our money, we put out our love, and it gets returned to us and generally multiplied, right? That, that love that we put out gets amplified, returned to us, feels so good. That investment that we put out, whether it's in money or time or emotional impact, it gets amplified by the people out in the world. And oh my gosh, how delicious it is when those investments come back. So um, I have a question for you though. If this is the law of giving and receiving, is it better to give or to receive? Uh, Those of you who think it's better to give, please raise your hands. And those of you who think it's better to receive, raise your hands. And those of you who think it's equal, raise... Oh, all right, all right. Well, I think I've tra- I may have trained you in this last year, right? So if you think about it, it's one of those equations. It's almost like math, and it has to balance out. You can't just be a giver. You can't just be a receiver. If you are, you're denying the other half of the equation, and, and I know it, it uh, maybe flies in the face of, of some Christian doctrine, but, but absolutely, we believe it's equally good. And in fact, there can't be gracious giving without gracious receiving and vice versa. They have to go together. And Millets tells a story of two shopkeepers in the book that I want to cover with you. It's an interesting story. Of course, she's writing from the 1920s, I believe. And so small town, two different shopkeepers in town. And something happened at the city level. There was some trouble in city government. And pretty much everyone in town was a little spooked. Is the city in financial trouble? And one of the shopkeepers, you might say, had his glass half empty. 
empty. And so he was all about the, oh my gosh, you know, we're in trouble now. Not sure where I'm going to get more of my goods in to be selling. You know, life could be trouble. We need to conserve what we have and so on. And then the other shopkeeper, more on the positive side. We've seen troubles like this before. We always get through it. Let's not catastrophize here. We're good people. We'll support each other and so on. So one of the farmers then in the area comes into town for provisions. And first he goes to the shopkeeper that has the glass half full, buys all of his usual supplies. They have a nice discussion about how we're here to help each other uh, and so on. And then he goes on to the second shopkeeper to get the rest of his supplies And it's a very different conversation, right? As soon as he walked in the store, the vibration level was so low that he actually didn't really want to buy anything there. It was that feeling of the end of times rather than the refreshing of times. I mean, who wants to go to a store where the shopkeeper is telling you, you know, you better buy everything we got because we may not get any more in. A lovely message to be giving. And so the guy actually turns around and walks out. Well, as she goes on with the story, it's interesting because if you think about it, It's not just the shopkeeper that's losing out in this story. The shopkeeper whose glass was half empty, right? It's like the farmer is also missing out. That that flow of good has been stopped in a way by the energy of the shopkeeper. So the farmer ends up only with really half of the supplies he needs. And if you think about it, by extension, the community also is brought down. Not everybody is getting their good. And in fact, the shopkeeper with the glass half empty probably over time is going to lose uh, personnel and and may indeed be a drag on the community as a whole if one of the two main suppliers in town gets into trouble. Have you thought about the idea of giving and receiving beyond just yourself? I think that's where we tend to focus, right? We tend to focus on the idea of, well, of course, I'm a a charitable giver and I'm a gracious receiver. I love presents. Uh, I I enjoy it when my life uh, presents me with the goodness and I participate it too. I enjoy writing checks for charity. I enjoy packing goods at the Oregon Food Bank. You know, I enjoy giving and receiving. But have you thought this is the grease that keeps the world running. It goes well beyond just you. Your gifts and your receipts are keeping the whole balance of the universe. I know this sounds over the top. But by extension, all of us participating in gracious giving and gracious receiving, it's why the stock market can work. Now, some of you are going, what, what? Where did we get to the stock market? It was interesting. A few years ago, I I was working with my financial planner, and it was after the technology bubble had kind of burst, and the stock market was in trouble there for a little bit. And my broker had called me and said, my financial planner, you know, we probably ought to talk about this. I know people are really scared. A lot of people are selling their socks, you know, and I'm, I'm like, I'm not really worried. And he said, oh, 
He said, why not? <laughs> and I said, well, you can't tell me that like Procter & Gamble, suddenly half of their buildings burned down, right? It's like they're still there. They're still making the products that people need and want. It's true there is a, a fault going on in our perception of what things are worth. But companies didn't burn down, right? I still need the toilet paper, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm going to buy it. So, so no, I'm confident this will come back again. You know, the stock market is our perception. The law of giving and receiving is our perception of it. And it, it's when we withdraw from participation in it that things get haywire, right? That supply chain thing that we're still having some trouble with right now, it's when people withdraw from that free flow of love, of energy, of goods, of money. It's when we, it's when we back up that things get in trouble. Let me read just a, a little bit from the book here. I think she puts it very well. It is foolish for us to hold back our money at a time of financial difficulty. I'm going to read that again. I hope some of you are going, what? <laughs> it is foolish for us to hold back our money at a time of financial difficulty. It's as though the motorist shuts down their power before ascending the hill. <laughs> But what could change this natural action of self-preservation, right? So, so it's self-preservation, right? We're seeing lack, so we want to hold on to things. That's the, what she's describing as self-preservation. What could change this natural action of self-preservation but spiritual insight and the regard for one's neighbor's welfare as equal to the regard for our own? When we pull back, not only do we suffer, but everyone suffers. I've also heard it talked about as priming the pump. And I want to use that metaphor for just a minute. Sometimes when our finances are in trouble, it is our natural reaction, that self-preservation. Well, okay, I'm simply not going to participate in giving and receiving anymore. I'm going to hold on to what I have and uh, hopefully things will get better. The suggestion of priming the pump is, no, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute here. It may be that I can't give as freely as I used to, but I don't want those sources of good in my life to dry up. I'm going to keep that pump primed. I may not be able to tithe to the church or give to the charities. I may not be able to participate as much with some of the charitable activities that I work in that I used to, but I'm not backing away from it. I'm not saying that the flow has stopped, because when I say that the flow has stopped, the flow has stopped. And, and, and it's just one pipe that does the receiving and the giving. And so when you put the brakes on, you're also putting the brakes on for your own good.
Okay, enough about the flow of good and giving and receiving. It's enough to know that we have to keep the world moving. And it goes just beyond us. When we withhold our energy, our love, our life, the trouble with it is it's also being withheld from us as well. On to talking about gratitude, though, and I think it's time for my joke to introduce this subject. Um, This, I would say, is a joke to illustrate not how to be thankful, if you don't mind. So a man buys a parrot only to have it constantly swear, insult, and bite him. He tries everything to make the parrot stop. Incentives, toys, affection, threats, nothing works. At his wit's end, the man puts the parrot in the freezer. (laughs) After a couple minutes, while the insults do stop, the man thinks, oh dear, I killed the poor thing. So he opens the freezer, takes the parrot out. Well, the parrot is shivering, but alive. And it stammers, sorry for being so rude. Please forgive me. Then after a moment, the parrot quietly asks, I'm just wondering, exactly what did the turkey do? (laughs) And so, well, you know, a pre-Thanksgiving joke, too. Well, just a little bit of everything. So, you know, one can be tempted to think, just grateful that things aren't worse than they are, right? There, there is an avenue of, well, I can be grateful that, that we're living the way we are because so many other people don't have it as good as I do. I'm not sure that that's actual gratitude. <laughs> I, I, I know I hear people talk that way sometimes. Well, it could be worse. I should be grateful that it's not worse than it is. But I think that's a kind of different energy. Would you agree? I think gratitude is something that wells up from our heart. I think that gratitude is something that comes very natural to us. And it doesn't even have to be necessarily when a gift is presented to us or someone goes out of their way to be uh, loving or caring. I think really that idea, and we talked about it maybe three weeks ago, the idea of our life being sufficient is actually what can bring the gratitude into our world? Just looking around us and realizing, I have enough of everything. I have love in my life. I have a, a, a sweet place to live. I have a, a nice set of friends. I have a great place to come on Sunday. Do you know what I mean? Just the, the simple pleasures of life itself. Well, well beyond some kind of a special gift, well beyond something that grabs your attention like a surprise party or something like that. It's just, just the joy, just the gratitude that life is enough. And that enoughness just wells up in our heart. It's been said, and this is in the science of mind, what we call the idea of the law of gratitude. It's been said, that which we are grateful for will increase. And I would like to use an example of something that I've been doing since 1975. You were looking at my first gratitude journal from 1975. I was uh, an art major at University of Oregon. 
And so, you know, it has a lot of original drawings and artwork in it, but it really is a gratitude journal. My art history teacher assigned it as homework for us. She must have been a metaphysician is the only thing I can think, because she said, I want you every day to put in your journal and highlight something that you are grateful for. And you can do it in terms of a drawing or a collage. You can write a poem. But every day I want you to to document in some, well, in her mind, artistic way, something that you are grateful for. And she said, watch if by the end of the term, you don't have more to be grateful for. She was amazing. And so I have actually kept this up. How many years is that? 1975? 40 years of a gratitude journal, something like that. And I have to tell you, sometimes people, uh, you know, look at my life and say, what a blessing you've got going there. And, And I would agree with them. I wonder how much of it is due to a daily focus on the good things that I have going in my life. One suggestion for you, and you know, I do like to assign homework, so you know, the cat's out of the bag on the homework. If you don't have a gratitude journal, please consider one. It has made all the difference in my life. And I got to tell you too, when I look back at 1975, it's a lot of fun too, right? Because what am I highlighting? I'm highlighting the fun, swell, sweet things in my life from 1975. So even reviewing this ancient journal has its positive effect in my life too. I can't tell you how wonderful keeping this up has been over the years. Let's switch gear though for just a minute because so far we've been talking about being grateful for the things that are in our lives, our loved ones, our jobs, our our grandchildren, the harvest potluck, (laughs) whatever's going on. But have you ever thought of being grateful for things that haven't quite happened yet? So this is a pure Larry Kingism. This is not in the book, and this is not Ernest Holmes. But I have a theory, and I call it the potato chips in the next room theory. So you'll have to bear with me for a minute while I explain. So you are sitting in front of your TV, uh, enjoying your favorite binge watching on, I don't know, Amazon Prime or whatever it is. You're maybe halfway through the crown or what, you know, whatever fabulous program you're watching. And you think to yourself, I'd really like a snack. Okay. So the potato chips are in the next room. They're not available to you right now, right? In theory, they're not even yours yet because you're not munching on them. But don't you feel pretty confident that you can get up out of that chair and go into the next room and have those potato chips? Wouldn't you feel okay about being grateful for those potato chips even though you don't have them yet? See, in God's universe, everything is in the next room. In God's universe, everything that you could ever want, the love of your life, the joy of your life, the peace of your life, where is it? It's just in the next room. And if being grateful for something brings more of it to you, 
I'm thinking we ought to be grateful in advance for our good. So not only grateful for what you have, but grateful for what you're going to have. Not only grateful for the experience going on right now, but we can be grateful for that harvest potluck, even though it's in the next room, right? (laughs) It's like, why not? Why not bring to us our good through anticipation? And I would offer up some evidence around this. Has anyone planned a trip in a while? Isn't it as delightful planning the trip almost as it is going on the trip? It's because you're you're bringing that law of gratitude in. You're envisioning yourself at Disney World or wherever it is. You're envisioning yourself getting off the plane in Paris or what, whatever it might be. And you're planning the hotels and you're doing all of the things and you're putting yourself in it. You're reaching into that other room. It isn't yours yet. But you can taste it. You can feel it. You know that it's yours. You know you're going to experience it. There's no doubt in your mind. I mean, occasionally we might purchase travel insurance just in case. But but in our heart, we're already there, even though it's in the next room. When we do those things, when we anticipate our good, when we are grateful for the experiences that have not even happened yet, that's what fuels them to come to us. And so this Thanksgiving, let us not only be grateful for the good that's all around us, let us also consider what's in the next room. Let us think what this coming year might bring us in terms of love, of kindness, of delight, of riches, of sweetness, of travel, of adventure, of peace. Let us be grateful in advance for the good that's on its way to us, because surely it also will be magnified and brought our way. So I've talked about a couple things today. First of all, the law of circulation and fair warning, right? We don't want to interrupt that flow. Even when times are a little tight, we want to make sure that we're still, we're still giving, we're still participating in the flow of good because that's how it's magnified and returned to us. We want to make sure that we don't think, oh, I got to stop this because when we stop one element of the flow, it stops both elements of the flow. And it encourages us, of course, to look beyond just ourselves, that that my gifts and my receiving both translate into a world that works for everyone, right? If I don't graciously receive, it blocks the flow of giving for someone else. And if I don't graciously give, it blocks the flow of receiving for someone else. So when I look beyond myself, I see, oh my gosh, how how joyous it is to be right in the middle of that flow of life and how my contributing to it in both ways really is what keeps the world moving forward. And then we also talked about the law of gratitude. It's really what powers the good life. You know, I've been enjoying the good life for quite a while. And I would suggest that anything you can do to bolster that sense of gratitude in your life, whether it's for things today or things not yet encountered, 
Let's spend some time in gratitude. Let's enjoy what we have. Let's feel the anticipation of what's yet to come. Because this is what brings the rich life. Okay, so covered homework. Consider a journal. Consider even a scrapbook, some way of collecting in something that will remind you how good your life is. And then I'd like to do a final quote from the book and a prayer. And this particular quote is uh, interesting. It's called A Treatment to Bless, Praise, and Give Thanks. And I just want to read just a segment of it here. It's mostly here just to remind us the power of gratitude. She says, Let the Spirit inspire your thanksgiving and open your prophetic sense to see the blessings that are coming out all around you. Listen to the divine voice within you. It guides you. It cheers you. It emboldens you. It shows you the way of eternal prosperity. The divine approval overshadows you and protects you. Your heavenly Father awaits lovingly your return to the spiritual life and its ways. And it runs to meet you saying, Thou art my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness, just this one thing. And what I know about this one thing is that it's everything, that eternal storehouse of all good, all the love, all the life, all the joy, all the prosperity, all the peace, all of it, all of it in God. And on this day, I claim that I'm part of that good. I know that it crowds itself around me. I know that I participate in it through my giving and through my receiving. I know that that flow of good is ever circulating through the universe and through me. And as it is true for me, it is true for everyone. Each of us a center of both giving and receiving. Each of us also a center of great thanksgiving, recognizing the blessings that we have and affirming the blessings that will soon to be ours. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer. I release it into the activity and into the action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here. So glad you were here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. 
Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the Center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.